0: hey what's up resonate church family and any other friends tuning in and listening glad to have you here my name is jacob Dahl. i have the honor of leading our church here in seattle we are in a sermon series on the book of colossians looking at the six marks of christian maturity every sunday we're going to look at one of these different marks studying and learning what it means to live into a fruit-bearing life as disciples of jesus and so What's cool about a lot of the New Testament is that it contains letters written to new and young and upcoming churches, helping them grow into the fullness of maturity in Christ. And so the letter from Paul to the church in Colossae is one of these letters. As we engage this letter, though it's a 2,000 year old document, it has profound implications for the modern church to consider, especially ours here in Seattle, which is new and young and upcoming. So let's dive in together. All right, we'll get going here. There are plenty of answers uh, to the question, what is the most terrifying animal in the world? But I have I an have animal I want to, to present to you as the contender, I think is the most terrifying animal in the world. Here it is. You know what this is? is called the Black Mamba. Yeah, okay. So the Black Mamba is the fastest snake in the world. It can go 13 miles per hour, which is faster than mo- what most adult humans can run. Uh, if you're Kevin, maybe you're faster than that. But so the same bolt could run like 28 miles per hour is a world record. Uh, so the average human, not an Olympic athlete, cannot, can barely keep pace with this or is slower than this, this snake, all right? So the fastest moving snake in the world, uh, also one of the most deadly. Uh, two drops can kill uh, an adult uh, human being. So fastest, one of the most deadly. And so imagine for a moment, uh, you didn't live in Africa or wherever this thing lives. I'm not sure where it lives in the world. Uh, but imagine you come home to your house here in Seattle after a day of work or class, and you're on the couch, chilling on the couch, right? And one of these things pops out from underneath the couch. Well, how would you react? You would freak out, right? You would absolutely freak out. You would not be like, "Oh, how cute, right? Wow, we should pet it. We should you know, make a pet out of it, right?" You would not play with it. You would not mess with it. You would not ignore it. You would freak out. You would get a shovel, or you'd leave the house and say, "You know what? I'm moving. Never moving. Never, never living there ever again. Can't live in that house ever again." You would run away, right? If you encountered a terrifying animal like this. So, uh, go with me here tonight. I'm just going to take a, a hard left turn here, but. I, I, would, I want to suggest tonight that there is something even more dangerous uh, lurking in our hearts, in our homes, and that is sin. All right? Sin is just as dangerous, just as lethal, just as uh, terrifying. It should be that terrifying to us, but oftentimes the way we approach sin is to play with it, is to kind of be passive with it, is to not take it that seriously, to ignore it perhaps and think, oh, you know, it's not that big a deal. Uh, But I want to suggest tonight that sin is just as deadly, just as lethal than a black mamba in your house. I want to help us see that tonight and respond to that tonight. So we're in a a sermon series through the book of Colossians talking about uh, the six marks of Christian maturity. And So week one, we looked at the idea of gospel density, that the mature Christian presses the Lordship of Jesus deeper and deeper into their life every day of their life. That the maturity is not so much how much you know or how much you do, but really how much the gospel is day by day affecting more and more of your life, densely, right? Week two, looked at the idea of biblical wisdom, that the mature Christian recognizes that though there are many ways that seem right and reasonable according to the wisdom of the world, only the way of Jesus, makes us wise unto eternal life. So in the pages of the Bible, we see divine wisdom being laid out for us, that God begins to reveal a heavenly wisdom that that rises above conventional earthly wisdom. That we should we should heed earthly wisdom, but heavenly wisdom makes us wise unto eternal life and the life that God calls us to now. And tonight we're looking at our third mark of maturity and it's this the idea of severed sin that the mature Christian has parted ways with the old life of sin and daily severs its supply lines. A Christian, a mature Christian, is somebody who parts ways with their old life of sin and daily works to rid themselves of sin more and more. So the idea that Paul is getting at in the book of Colossians he says in Colossians 2, is that we grow up into the fullness of Christ to mature in our faith like a giant tree being rooted and built up and established in the faith. Not a weak sapling forever, but growing up, strengthened in the faith, established in the faith. This will require gospel density, biblical wisdom, as well as severing sin and the supply lines of sin in order for us to do this. But God is with us, and God's power works powerfully in us to that effect. So tonight, we're going to do, some, do something a little bit different. And so as I'm teaching, I want you guys to be thinking of questions to, to respond or ask. So I'm going to throw up a slide here. If you guys would, scan that with your phones or go to the, the browser there, and uh, slido.com, and enter the number right there. Uh, so as, as you're listening tonight and processing uh, Colossians chapter 3, as I'm speaking, I want you guys to be thinking of questions you wanna ask me or you have burning questions you wanna ask God. But at the end of this, at the end of this teaching, uh, we're gonna answer some of these questions live. So as you guys are following along, jot those down, submit the questions, they're, they're anonymous. So we'll, we'll have no idea who submits the questions. So no dumb questions, no, no, uh, no outing of who asked the question. It'll be totally anonymous. So at the end, you can uh, if you want to follow along on your phones, you can upvote certain questions to ask or have us answer. Um, if you want to as well. So, as we, as we dive into this, um, be, be submitting questions. We'd love to answer those as we go at the end here. So, we're going to read uh, Colossians chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 10 together. So, if you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn there, Colossians 3. It'll also be on the screen here behind me as well. Starting in verse 1. So, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you have died to that way of life. You have parted ways with that, your old life. And now your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears again, when he comes again to to gather the saints to himself, then you will also appear with him in glory. Therefore, Paul says, in light of that truth, Put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient, and you once at one time walked in these things when you were living in them. But now, in Christ, Paul says, put away all the following things, anger, wrath, malice, slander, And filthy language from your mouth do not lie to each other since you have put off the old self taken off the old you with his practices and have put on the new self and in that new self you're being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your Creator here's the first idea tonight is that if we have been raised with Christ we have been given a new nature if we've been raised with Christ we've been given a new nature so the old nature is what we're born into right the natural nature we have is an earthly nature We're given a body um, a brain a heart given to us by God made in the image of God but through sin and the effects of our sin that image gets distorted it's not the way God intended the way human life looks on earth is busted up it's broken whether it's Seattle or it's your own heart or it's America. We see brokenness everywhere. The image of God has been distorted and the only way, the only hope of restoring that image, redeeming that image, is through God Himself, not through more education. We love UW, love college, love training, right? That will never fix the problem with the human condition. Not politics, not better behavior, the, the solution is the gospel of God, the gospel of Jesus. That through the death and resurrection of Jesus, human beings can be made right with God and right with each other. We exchange our sin on the cross for the perfect righteousness of Jesus. And as we do so, as we receive the gospel, we receive the spirit of Jesus. We are then raised with Christ. We, we die to our old way of life, our old way of sin, and are raised to walk in in a new way of life, reborn spiritually. We now have the Spirit of God indwelling in us and now receive this spiritual nature, the Spirit of God living in us. So our earthly nature and our spiritual nature, our flesh, if you will, the earthly nature, and the spiritual nature are at war within us. There are two natures now living in us. Though we have died to one nature, our old nature, the new nature leads us, the nature we desire to live into. So though we have gained a new nature, our old nature still haunts us. Though we have gained a new nature, the old nature still follows us around. And we kind of live in this already but not yet reality where we have received the kingdom of God. We have been, Colossians 1, Paul says, we've been transferred, delivered out of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of His beloved Son. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. So that's a fact. It's already happened. We've been transferred. We've been brought into the kingdom of God. But that fullness, the, the experiencing the fullness of that kingdom will not be experienced until we pass from this life into the next. And so though we've been delivered, no longer held hostage in the domain of darkness, we're secure in that, saved in that, We still are affected by our old nature haunting us, following us around. Sin lurks in our hearts. One day in heaven, there will be no more sin, no more tears, no more pain, fully reconciled to God, only the glory of God and perfect union with Him forever. But until that day, from now, this day, until that day, Paul says in verse 10, you're being renewed. Every day being renewed in the knowledge of God according to the image of your creator. Every day, we're being renewed more and more. One degree more like our creator. Less like our earthly nature, more like our spiritual nature in Christ. But sin crouches at the door. It lurks in our hearts. And so, what's what's, interesting to notice and we all feel this is that our earthly nature is what's natural to us you don't have to try to live in your earthly nature it's like you wake up in the morning and you're already kind of like in a bad mood and you're being selfish and you cut someone off in traffic or they cut you off in traffic and you react a certain way right oh you serious right when someone cuts you in line in the the food line you're like no, are you serious no like no way like we, we react, what's natural to us is our earthly nature. There's no waking up and saying, okay, be more earthly today. I'm just naturally, it's like an autopilot function. You wake up, you're on autopilot to gratify your body, your flesh, your earthly desires are on autopilot towards sin. Why am I so selfish today? Why did I lash out at my wife again today? Not me. I just have some friends who lash out at their wives. Um, <laughs> why, why is it so hard to love people like every day the same? Like, it's just not what's natural to us is sin, is our earthly desire, is our earthly nature. But again, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we gain the ability to conquer our old nature. Without God, we have no hope of conquering the old self. But God, in His Spirit, in his power this is cheesy but i think grants us an override autopilot option a button you can press now i have the power now to override the autopilot of my flesh when i wake up in the morning and i want to gratify myself and my own desires and my own body and my own mind and my own wishes through the power of the holy spirit i've gained access to a different kind of wisdom a heavenly wisdom right And the power of God to say, you know what, I'm going to die to that desire today. That desire to scroll on my phone, that desire to lust, that desire for sexual immorality, for anger, for wrath, whatever. I I can now pause and not like some kind of like deep breathing exercise, some like yoga thing, some like stress ball. Like that's not enough. (laughs) That never does not solve the issue. The power of God through His Spirit is the way by which we gain an ability, a power beyond ourselves and self-help solutions to override our flesh, override the autopilot of sin. We're no longer ruled by that. Paul says, You used to walk that way. You used to live that way, but not anymore. You once lived and walked in sin, but that's not who you are anymore. You have you've had your identity changed. Not simply he's not he begins with identity and then gets into habits. Um, many times we, we miss that part, right? We, we don't realize that we have to have our lives and and selves and identities changed first in God. We've been made new, a new self, a new nature, and from that new nature, from that new identity, we then, Paul says, put our old nature to death. We then put our old desires to death. We override them. We hate them. We bury them. We run from them you sever them from our lives. So again, he lists a lot here. The first list is kind of like sexual immorality. Second list is like more more anger, like with our words. So again, wrath, malice, slander, Facebook comments, filthy language, like we have a lot of vitriol in in our culture today, even in the church, right? So Paul is saying whether it's internal sin, external sin, sin in your thoughts, sin with your body, sin against yourself, against your friend or neighbors, sins of commission, sins of omission, both doing what God says not to do or not doing what God calls us to do. Put it all to death. Paul is saying, put it all to death. Put it off. The old self. And he's using pretty fierce, like, violent language. Like, putting to death is not like, hey, by the way, if you have time, like, uh, get that snake out of your house. Like, no, like, put that to death. Don't mess with that. It will destroy you. It will absolutely destroy you. We're not to play with our sin or be passive with our sin, but to put it off, to sever it, to part ways with it. So naturally the question is, okay, how do we do this? What's the, what's the first step? Where do I begin? Here's, here's where I would suggest. Number one, is to first recognize and reject sin for what it is, which is grievous and dangerous. Recognize that sin is sin. Not something like, oh yeah, whoops, I... Made a mistake today, like, no, it's actually grievous and dangerous if we're not careful. An um, uh, old, old dead guy named John Owen uh, writes this. He wrote a book called The Mortification of Sin. Uh, he was a Puritan. He had some pretty intense language uh, around this. But he says this, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. It's that simple. If you are not putting sin off and severing sin from your life and killing sin, sin is at work in you, destroying you. That's only, there's only two ways for that to happen. Sin will destroy your heart for God, your relationships, your marriage, your family. And here's where I think this, this, this happens. So oftentimes, sin, little sins get justified and little, little tiny sins as they get justified leads to greater and greater sin against God. So you think about like when you get calluses on your feet when you're playing basketball as a kid or soccer or maybe your hands, if you're lifting weights a lot, you get calluses on your hands, right? What do calluses do? They, they build up skin on your, your skin, extra skin, uh, to desensitize you from pain, from friction, right? So your, your body is literally building extra skin tolerance uh, to prevent pain and, and sensi- you know, sensitivity, right? So I think in, in some way, as you are justifying little sin, what it does is it begins to create a layer of callousness on your heart. And the more you sin, the more it builds up a calloused heart. And the more that calloused heart looks, the less God's voice and God's word can convict you. You're desensitized to the voice of God. You're unable to hear him or respond to him in the same way. You've been desensitized. And so I see it all the time, especially with sexual sin. Pornography, I mean, it's like rampant in our generation. Internet, I mean, it's everywhere, right? and what begins as kind of a small thing in a corner at your house by yourself, uh, you think, oh, it's no big deal, just me and my phone, me and my computer, and it happens once, happens more. Like, and over time, if you aren't careful, that begins to callous your heart. And you think, oh, what's the big deal? You know, it's not, I'm not hurting anybody, but like it's hurting you, it's hurting some. it's, it's, it's affecting you, right? It could also happen in a, in a dating relationship. As, as you're dating or, or being engaged, you, you cross boundaries in sexual sin. You think, what's the big deal? It's just us. We're getting married anyways. What's the, what's the big deal, right? And what happens is, again, you're, you're justifying little sins. If you aren't repenting of that and walking away from that, severing that, it's creating calluses on your hearts, and it's preventing you from hearing God's voice accurately. And as you justify sins in one area of your life, it gives you uh, boldness, I would say, to continue sinning, and justifying that sin in other areas of your life or it's it's both creating a, a, a heart that produces both more sin and greater sin in greater quantity in greater seriousness so i've seen people uh again one example i've seen is when let's say a, a couple is dating and they're living in sexual sin and they they don't repent of that they continue on and that they, they get they get married and now they're married so that's sex is great it's it's not sinful anymore in that context but what they, what's happened is they've again created a distance from god a callousness of their heart that when god then uh calls that couple to let's say obey him in other areas let's say it's in their finances you might have a heart that says you know what what's the big deal of obeying god with our finances and, and giving our offering to him, uh, worshiping god through our money like if you aren't careful you begin to develop a heart that is now calloused towards all of God's commands, not just sexual sin, but now other areas as well. So callousness can build up over time and completely shut us off from the presence of God and desensitize us to his voice. The Paul is saying, "Men, take action swiftly. Take action seriously. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Here's what N.T. Wright says uh, about this. When a tide of passion or a surge of anger is felt, it must be dealt with as the alien intruder it really is, and turned out of the house as having no right to be there at all, let alone to be giving orders. This is often harder than it sounds, but it must be constantly attempted in reliance upon the grace, which continually renews the life of the Christian." So again, whether it's anger, it's greed, it's lust, it's, uh, it's malice, <laughs> that's you, with malicious intent. Like when those feelings, those thoughts, those temptations enter into your brain or into your life, anti-right saying, treat them as an intruder. No right to be in your life or in your home or in your heart at all. Reject them and be renewed continually day by day. So firstly, um, recognize sin for what it is. Grievous and serious. Number two. Starve the flesh and feed the soul as as you're fighting the the fight against sin Think about starving the flesh and feeding the soul So really simply the principle is what you starve dies what you feed grows So in your flesh and your spirit what you feed will continue to grow What you starve will fade out? So if you're feeding your your flesh your body your, your earthly nature, it will continue to grow and continue. If you feed your soul and starve your flesh, your soul will continue to be renewed, right? Uh so our family uh has reached the unique milestone of doing school projects. So Huddy's in kindergarten, and uh so he got assigned a school project last week or two weeks ago. <clears throat> it's called Market Day. So kids had to, they were assigned, hey, you gotta get to create your own product from scratch and come to school and sell it to your friends. You gotta create 10 different versions of this product and come and sell it to your friends. So like this is kind of a cool entrepreneurial thing for a kindergarten, right? And uh, so he, he had the idea of creating his own hourglasses um, from scratch. We're like, this is a cool idea. And then we realized, how are we gonna make that? We have no idea how we're gonna make that. Like He's like, I don't know, that's, that's my idea. So we're like, all right, we gotta figure out now, as the parents, now we realize we're in for like, we gotta be the ones who are creating this thing, not just only our kid, right? So we put our heads together and we decided to go to Hobby Lobby. Uh, last Saturday. So, we go to Hobby Lobby. It's my first time at Hobby Lobby. Weird place, man. Weird, crafty mom kind of place. Not my scene. But we walk in there and like half of the store like is like toys and craft supplies and paint and like paper and cool stuff that like the kids were like, wow, this place is awesome. They wanted everything. And literally I'm following Val around and she's like, I want that for my birthday. I want that for my birthday. You know what, I want the whole store for my birthday. All right, daddy, you get that down, all right? I'm like, cool, yeah, write that down. Uh, but they re- like as they walk in the store, I, again, I realized during COVID, we just never really went out, never went into toy stores, never went anywhere. And so when we go into even Hobby Lobby, not even a cool, that cool of a toy store, uh, my kids are like, I didn't know there was this much cool stuff out there and I want all of it. I, didn't realize how hungry I was for this stuff now I want I didn't know I needed all these different kits and paints and all this stuff now I want it now I need it and so as parents man we were constantly trying to figure out how do we limit the amount of YouTube they watch and the ads they see and toys they're, they're exposed to and trips to Toys R Us which actually is bankrupt now right I think it's gone um, so toy stores we should limit as parents the amount of exposure and things we're feeding their flesh, feeding their earthly nature. And that's, that seems, you know, intense and over the top, and it kind of is. But the, the principle is that, man, as a parent, I have to be aware of my kids' impulses, desires, what they want, and be careful what I'm feeding that. Am I feeding their soul or feeding their flesh? So whatever you're, you're weak in, if you're, if you're a kid, you're weak in the toy store, right? But if 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 you're us tonight, if you're weak or prone to materialism, you probably should be careful scrolling websites that sell clothes. Or be careful with a casual trip to U Village. Like that's that's a danger zone for you, maybe, right? If you have a hard time with lust, get off your phone, dude. Like, get, get, get off your phone, get outside. If you are prone to comparison, delete Instagram or, or TikTok, whatever your thing is. If you're prone to over-drinking. Stop going to bars. That's, that's The places where you're weak, just be careful and, and be aware of that and starve your flesh that your hunger would fade. Maybe you, you literally try fasting, like abstaining from food and going hungry physically and telling yourself, I, I want to hunger for God. I want to actually override my flesh, override the autopilot of my earthly nature and feed my spiritual nature, feed my soul in that. Paul saying, put that stuff off, kill it, put it to rest, and instead be renewed, feeding your soul. Lastly, number three, to fight against sin, to put it to death, I would say this, get to the root and sever the supply line. Get down to the root and sever the actual supply line. Here's what my boy John Owen says again, a man may beat down the bitter fruit from an evil tree until he is weary. While the root abides in strength and vigor, the beating down of the present fruit will not hinder it from bringing forth more. This is the folly of some men. They set themselves with all earnestness and diligence against all the appearing eruption of lust, but leaving the principle and root untouched, perhaps unsearched out, they make but little or no progress in this work of mortification. That's a big old school word for like, again, hating sin, putting sin to death, putting off the old self. So John Owen is saying, again, don't just try to clean up the behavior on the outside, beating the bitter fruit, he says, but look deeper. Search out on the inside. Why is this stuff manifesting? Why am I so angry? Why am I saying such harsh things? Why am I always complaining? Why am I Why am I reflecting my earthly self? And what's happening on the inside that that's coming from? Cut off the source of that sin in the heart, not just trying to figure out how I clean out my language on the outside, how do I figure out where that's coming from? Last quote, N.T. Wright says this, every Christian has a responsibility before God to investigate the lifelines of whatever sins are defeating him or her personally and to cut them off without pity. Better that than have them eventually destroy him or her. So again, every Christian, he's saying, has the responsibility to search out, to investigate, not to be continually given over to sin, but to cut off without pity those sources of sin for us. So what's that for you? Where are you weak? Where do you see continually, ah, here we go again, right? Dang it! Another day, another week. I fell into sin again. What's that for you? And are you having? Are you have? Do you have the the courage to cut that off and say, you know what? It's not worth it anymore. That thing's not worth. It's not worth my soul. Not worth my life. I don't want to get calloused towards God. And maybe you're here tonight, and for some of us, like we don't actually hate our sin that much. We're like, oh, yeah, sin. It's serious, but is it serious? Uh, Maybe the prayer tonight for you is, God, I want to hate this sin enough. God, make me hate this sin enough to change my life, to change my habits, to change my decision-making. If you don't hate our sin enough, you won't change, right? If you don't truly hate that pornography habit enough, you won't change. If you don't hate your gossip habit enough, if you don't love people enough to stop gossiping, You won't stop gossiping. It will continue. It will persist. If you don't hate your pride or your greed or your passivity enough to change, it won't change. And So maybe the the place you start tonight is to begin asking God, would you help deliver me from this and, and bring a conviction of sin and a hatred of sin? Would you help me, God, rip out the root from my life, cut it off at the source, and live the free life you've called me to? And all this, just before, before we transition to our, our time of question and, and, and response time, um, remember in all this, as we're battling the flesh, battling our sin, to return to grace. Grace is what, grace-based effort is what this is all about. Don't, don't get into a place where you are trying to do this apart from God, without God, um, but fall back on the grace of God. Return to the gospel, because you will fail. We'll all fail. We're going to fail tonight. We're going to sin tonight. And so as you sin tonight and tomorrow, and first return to the gospel, fall back on grace, and from that secure place of God giving you mercy and grace, say, God, would you help me today? I'm busted up again. Give me your grace. Give me your power to live the life you called me to. Again, tonight, I want to, as we kind of close and respond to worship, I want to just remind us that that if you're in Christ, your sin has been already paid for. You are, you are forgiven, you're redeemed, you're in Christ. Nothing will ever change that fact. And so as we're battling sin, uh, the image that comes to mind for me is, all right, here you go again. Here every day is going back to God saying, here here's my sin again, God. New sin today, also new mercy today. Every day, His mercy and grace overcomes our sin. We say, all right, Lord, here it is again. I give it back to you. Would you forgive me? Uh, I've been forgiven once and for all, but God continue to give me the power to override the autopilot of my flesh to live in the spirit. So, let's pray and ask God to meet us here tonight. <clears throat> Lord, tonight we we come to you in your grace and your mercy. Your word calls us to come to you with confidence, to to approach the throne of grace with confidence because of Christ. He came to us. While we were still in our sin, Christ died for us. He he pursued us. He walked among us. And so if we are in a moment tonight of of shame or wanting to run from you, God, remind us that you are already with us. And then, no matter where we can go, we can never outrun you. We can never hide. If we make our our bed in the depths, you are there. If you rise on the heights, you are there. There's no, nowhere we can hide from you, God. And so you, you, you lay us bare, you, you know our sin, and yet you are a loving Father who says, come to me, all who are weary, I will give you rest. Come to me who, who thirsts, I will give you living water, you will never thirst again. Come to me and receive life and forgiveness. So I pray tonight, God, we'd be a people in a church that that runs to you to receive love and healing and binding and compassion. And in that place, God, would you change us? God, would you break the power of sin in our lives? Some of us have some habits that have been going on for years. God, I pray you break that. The power of Jesus by his name and your spirit, God, would you give us the ability to leave the old self behind to put it off, to walk in a new way of life, to no longer be held by that stuff, but to live in the freedom and the power and the joy that we're called to in Christ. God, tonight bring freedom, bring conviction, bring power for us to live in the new self you've called us to in Christ, we pray. In his name, amen.